Good morning. Welcome to the services this morning. We appreciate your presence very much. We have some that are visiting with us. We're especially honored to have you. We have a lot of folks that are traveling this morning, as I'm sure a lot of us will be through the holidays. We've asked for safe passage for them in our prayer this morning. We've been studying out of um, Matthew chapter 5. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and this morning we're going to study oaths for a minute. So, Growing up, did you ever make pinky swears? Did you ever, did you ever make some deal with a friend and they say, will you promise? And you're like, let's pinky swear. Well, that's a form of an oath. That's a form of a bond that you've agreed to do something or you've, uh, you've, you've cemented something you've said with this oath. We're going to talk about them this morning. Our text of the morning is Matthew chapter five and it begins in verse number 33. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say unto you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. <clears throat> so um, a pretty controversial actual passage there in the New Testament. A lot of people believe that that's teaching us that it's, it's sin to vow. It's sin to take a vow. But I don't believe that's what it's teaching us. We'll talk about that a little bit because we've seen things like this, right? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I think the modern day courts have taken the Bible out. You just have to promise to tell the truth. Some courts maybe still have you put your hand on the Bible. I don't know. But that's a form of a vow. That's a form of an oath. That's you calling on the Lord to say that I am about to testify that what I'm saying is the truth. So that's a form of an oath. What about this one? I do solemnly swear that I will fully execute the office, faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States. Picture of Barack Obama being sworn in there. Any person that takes an office, whether it's the president, whether it's the local judge, whether it's a sheriff, whether it's whatever, they're going to raise their hand and they're going to promise to faithfully execute the duties of that office. Is that sinful? Is that what that verse is teaching us? That we're not to swear at all? That we're not to have any kind of vows? Well, what about this one? A lot of us have done this one. I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife and do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health. Maybe you didn't say those exact words, but it was probably something similar. A marriage is considered a vow. You're you're promising to stay with that person through the good stuff, through the bad stuff, all the way to the end until you die. That's a vow. Is that is that what you're talking about when it says don't? Do any vows? Don't have any? Don't make any promises like that? Well, I don't think so. What about this one? Oaths. I cross my heart and hope to die. That's one of those that we used to do as a kid too. Was that one okay? Well, we'll see. We'll talk about all of these. Maybe we'll be able to make some applications and figure out what's okay and maybe what oaths we shouldn't be performing this morning. So back to our passage, it says, Again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Well, what does oaths mean? Well, let's look at the Webster Dictionary and let's define the word from that. And I think it's a biblical definition. It says, A solemn affirmation or declaration made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. 
The appeal to God in an oath implies that the person imprecates his vengeance and renounces his favor if the declaration is false. Or if the declaration is a promise, the person invokes the vengeance of God if he shall fail to fulfill it. A false oath is called perjury. So there's a big word in there, imprecates. That just means calls on or asks to make so. So that's a long definition, and there's a lot of stuff in there. So I'm not that smart, so I want to break it down. It talks about two things. It talks about that an oath can be concerned as a declaration or it can be concerned with a promise. A declaration is I have told you something. I'm declaring something to you. And then I'm going to swear out an oath that what I've said is true and valid and it is what it is. And that it says if I do that, that, I'm, that I invoke or call down God's vengeance and renounce his favor if what I'm telling you is not the truth. So you may have to sign all kinds of legal documents. At the end, it'll say that you, you know, you swear that the information that you filled out, some even credit applications may even have you say that, right? You swear that the information that you put on that application is correct or that it's valid, that you've not lied. And the other side of an oath is a promise. And so we're talking about something that's in the future. And I'm promising to you that I'm going to do something or I'm going to fulfill some obligation to you. And I'm doing that again invoking the vengeance of God if I don't fulfill what I'm telling you to do. So there's an important word on there, the vengeance of God. So that makes the hair on the back of my neck crawl. I don't know if it does anyone else's. But that tells us in and of itself that oaths are pretty important. There's something that we can sit need to consider with great consideration. Because it's saying that if I don't do this, or if what I'm telling you is false, that I'm calling God's vengeance on me, right? And so if you're willing to sign, so when he says, don't swear at all, that might be the best avenue for some of us, right? That absolutely could be the best best avenue and might be one that you should live by if you can get away with it. Not swearing at all might be the very best application that you can make of the sermon today. But there may be situations where you have to. So the verse said, said to those of old, well, what was it talking about there? What, what was it? Jesus was making application back to something that was old. Well, that's not new to us in this chapter either, right? If we think about, if we think about what's going on in this chapter, that is a lot of what he's been doing. He's been comparing the old to the new. He's been talking about old versus new, old versus new, all the way through it. We'll look at that here in a minute. But here's what he's talking about. In in Exodus chapter 20, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now, we read that out of the Old Testament, and we think it's the third commandment, right? Out of the Old Testament, and we think about, you know, we commonly say taking the Lord's name in vain. We commonly refer to that as some type of a cuss word where somebody says God something, you know, calls on God to do something and they're doing it in a vain and worthless manner. Sometimes a cuss word. Sometimes somebody pulls out in front of us or, and we, and somebody might utter the, you know, Jesus' name in a vain and worthless manner. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And that's true. It is, it is application. That is the application of this verse, but it's much broader than that. In fact, the, the word vain there means um, false in, in a false promise type of way. If you look at the ERV version of this, of this verse, it says, You must not use the name of the Lord your God to make empty promises. If you do, the Lord will not let you go unpunished. <clears throat> so taking the Lord's name in vain 
So it, when we when we use it as a cuss word, right, that we're we're invoking an empty promise. We're asking God to do something we're really not asking Him to do most of the time. We're just using it in conversation to emphasize a point, and it's it's vanity and vexation, and it's taking His name in vain. That's one application. But it also talks here about this empty promises, and that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, when he starts talking about them making these vows. It's very common in this time, in this historical perspective, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. So the points of chapter 5, let's review real quick. Some of this we've already talked about in other in other uh, sermons. Other, other gentlemen have talked about this. But he's really in chapter 5 here as he begins the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the Beatitudes. And then he goes in and he starts talking about this old law that's really kind of an intellectual law that deals with our behaviors and deals with a lot of outward stuff. So the old law was measured on how you behaved and the things that you did, the things you said. It was an outward manifestation, okay? He's talking now about this new law, and it's our hearts, it's our thoughts, it's inward And we're supposed to be working on that, right? Because the inward things are manifested in an outward appearance. And so he's backing up a step now in the new law and saying, let's get inside right and outside will take care of itself. In the psychological world, they call these behaviors and they call these what they call antecedents. So those are the things that lead up to behaviors. And you can have good antecedents and bad antecedents that ultimately cause you to have good behaviors and bad behaviors. We study that a lot in safety in my, in my industry. And so what he's talking about now is the things inside that make us do things that are bad. So he talked about the law of Moses. He says Christ comes to fulfill that law. He's not doing away with it. He's fulfilling it. He talks about murder. He says, okay, murder in the Old Testament, that was an outward manifestation of what? Your anger. So let's control anger in the new dispensation, in the new era. He talks about adultery. No, it's not adultery. Let's control our lust because if we don't lust, we won't have a problem with adultery. He talked about this no-fault divorce that was going on. In the old days, if you didn't cook a good dinner, the husband could just divorce you. I mean, it was literally almost that bad. It was literally where we get the term no-fault divorce. It was going on back then. Men could divorce their wife for anything. And it left the wife basically destitute because she didn't have anybody to take care of and protect her. And he said, no, it's not like that. And now he talks about this validating your promises or confirming your declarations. And he's really talking about living a life of integrity where your words mean something, your life means something. That's what he's talking about in 33 to 38. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. He goes on and says, eye for an eye. He talks about revenge. He says, no, we're going to turn the other cheek. And then he said, it's been said of old that you would love your neighbors and hate your enemies. I say, no, you got to love your enemies. Wow. Okay. So he's taken us from this old, this old behavioral based system to this new inward thought based system, right? He's working on our head. He's working on our heart. And that's what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 5 as well. So let's break this verse down. I believe this picture of a guy with his fingers crossed behind his back is a perfect example of what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. He's talking to these Jews and to these, and he, later on in, in chapter 23, he talks about this situation again and he goes so, he gets so strong as to call them hypocrites. He said, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You're not doing what you say you're going to do. And that's what he's talking about here that's that's not important or that is important. He said, you're starting to swear. You're starting to you're starting to use these vows in just casual conversation when you don't even need to. 
It's, it just become, had become rampant that people were vowing. <clears throat> it was commonplace to swear in, in, in everyday conversation. And he talks a lot about this in Matthew chapter 23 and verses 16. They're swearing by the temple or the gold on the temple or all these different things. He says, you're missing the point. There's a weightier matter to be considered. It's, it's not about all of that. So he says, don't swear at all, but I believe that's caveated by the verses that follow. In fact, in the, in the version we read, there was a colon, don't swear at all colon, and then it listed all of these reasons. Don't swear at all to heaven, to earth, to Jerusalem, to your own head, etc. And there's a reason for that. Number one, they're not yours to swear by. Number two, <clears throat> they're inanimate objects. And they're impo- they can't they, they 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 can't even comply with our definition of oaths. So think about our definition of oaths, right? We're calling on a higher power to rain down vengeance on us if we don't do what we say we're going to do, or if what we've told you is a falsehood. Well, how is the earth going to do that, or how is an inanimate object going to do that? It's not, and that's why. They started feeling comfortable, these Jews did, using all of these other things to swear oaths by rather than God because they were dealing in falsehoods, they were dealing in half-truths, they were dealing in white lies, they were dealing in all these different things. And they were saying, hey, I can tell Kent a little white lie and I'll swear by Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem going to do to me if it's a lie? Nothing. Jerusalem's not a being that can do anything to you. And so they started using all of these inanimate objects that couldn't do anything to them because that gave them a little bit of comfort that they weren't going to just get struck dead by the Almighty God. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, don't swear like that. Don't swear at all like this where you're using these inanimate objects to swear by. Objects the Jews felt comfortable with. And this is the crux of the matter. He gets to it in that last verse. He says, just let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Live a life of integrity and honesty to where all you've got to say is what you've got to say. You don't need to vow to this or promise to that or do all this other stuff. Man, somebody used to tell me, if I told you a chicken dip snuff, you can look under his wing for the can. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that what you say people can trust is the truth. Right? That's a joke, but that's what he's trying to get across to these people. That you talk, when you say yes, it means yes. When you say no, it means no. There doesn't have to be anything else added to that in your daily conversations. In fact, he goes on to say, just in the matter of an exclamation point, anything else is from the evil one. All of this vain swearing and oath doing that you're doing is satanic. It's from the devil. It's not providing any value. In fact, it's sin. It's from the devil. It's from the evil one. So that your yes be yes and your no be no. That's the point that he's trying to make here. And and I think that a lot uh, a lot of that is because of the study that we did there, but some of it also is because There is New Testament examples after the fact, after this teaching in Matthew, of them continuing to use vows and continuing to make oaths. I'll give you a few. This is by no means an exhaustive list. 
God swore by himself in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 13. Now, I recognize that as soon as I put that up, you're going to say, yeah, but that was talking about God making oaths and swearing in the Old Testament. And it was. That is true. But if you think about the things that we're talking about here in chapter 5, he didn't do away with any of them. He didn't, for instance, say that um, murder in the Old Testament was bad. But in the New Testament, it's okay. That's not what he said. He said, no, it's, it's still bad. In fact, it's even worse. You're not even supposed to get angry. So everything was, nothing was, he's not doing away with oaths here in chapter 5. He's trying to emphasize to the people that there's a higher purpose in these oaths. And that they're extremely important. And that they're not some casual, that they're not to be used casually. That's what he's talking about there in chapter 5. Paul swears by God in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 20. He puts the Thessalonians under an oath in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He swears by God to Corinth in chapter 2 of, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He swears by God to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 9. Angels swear an oath in Revelations chapter 10. Paul was under a vow in Acts chapter 18. And Jesus testified under oath himself later on in Matthew and Matthew chapter 26. So he teaches that you don't swear at all and then 20 chapters later testifies under oath to Caiaphas. So I don't I don't I think that's all in congruence with each other. It's not saying don't swear at all. It's saying make sure that you do these oaths and these swears in the right way. In fact, let's read that Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 63, it says, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The word adjure used here, I think this is the King James Version. It might be the... Uh, but it is in the King James as well. Azure means to cause to swear or to lay under the obligations of an oath. So the high priest says to Jesus, I'm putting you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you have said so. So he answers him under oath, no different than we would have to if we go to a court of law and get in the witness box. We're going to have to take some kind of oath that we're telling the truth. And Jesus did the same thing there. So if they are important to us, if they're important to us, we've, 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 uh, hopefully we have uh, laid the groundwork to say that oaths are extremely critical, right? That they're not to be taken lightly, that they're important. So let's go through some rules. Number one, rule number one, it must be necessary. This is not something that we just do says you must not use the name of the Lord your God to make empty promises. It must be necessary. It must be something that's worthy of going and calling on the name of the Lord to validate for you. And we learned that. That's what I think Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 33 is teaching. Rule number two is never in a casual way. And again, the yes means yes and no means no. That means live a life of honesty and integrity. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the story of, of Ananias and Sapphira, right? 
while they weren't called to testify under oath, they were asked some very specific questions and they chose to lie. What did it say? Lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to God. And the apostles witnessed them being struck dead there for doing that. Right? So lying, lying and not being honest and living an immoral and non-honest life is a sin. So unfortunately for, at least for adults, Pinky swears and cross my heart and hope to die type swears are out for us, right? It is very clear by the, this chapter and by these verses that swearing means something and it's not to be done in a vain and uh, casual way. Number three, you must keep your promise. So this is something that I think, you know, all of America needs to learn about, you know, marriages and all these other vows that we, that we make and sometimes half-heartedly. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. In Psalms chapter 15 and verse number four, it says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That last verse talks about no matter how much your vow or what you've sworn to do hurts you, you can't change it. You've got to go through with it if you made a vow before the Lord to do something. Even if the promise is under duress... Yeah, I think so, even if the promise is under duress. I read this three times as I practiced it, and I didn't get through either one of them uh, without a tear, but hopefully I can this morning. Judges chapter 11 and verse number 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, and he passed through the area of Gilead and Manasseh. He went through the city of Mizpath and Gilead on his way to the land of Ammonites. Jephthah made a promise to the Lord. He said, if you will let me defeat the Ammonites, I will give you the first thing that comes out of my house when I come back from the victory. I will give it to the Lord as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went to the land of the Ammonites. He found the Ammonites and the Lord helped him defeat them. He defeated them from the city of of Ore to the city of Manith. Jephthah captured 20 cities, 20 cities. Then he found the Ammonites, then he fought the Ammonites to the city of Abel, Karamin. The Israelites defeated them. It was a very great defeat for the Ammonites. Jephthah went back to Mizpath. He went to his house and his daughter came out to meet him. She was playing a tambourine and dancing. She was the only daughter and Jephthah loved her very much. He did not have any other sons or daughters. When Jephthah saw his daughter was the first thing to come out of his house, he tore his clothes to show his sadness. And he said, Oh, my daughter, you have ruined me. You have made me very sad. I made a promise to the Lord and I cannot change it. Then his daughter said to Jephthah, Father, you have made a promise to the Lord, so keep your promise. Do what you would do. Do what you said you would do. After all, the Lord did help you defeat your enemies, the Ammonites. Then Jephthah's daughter said to her father, but, but do this one thing for me. Let me be alone for two months. Let me go to the mountains. I will not marry and have children, so let me and my friends go and cry together. Jephthah said, go. 
He sent her away for two months. Jephthah's daughter and her friends stayed in the mountains. They cried for her because she would not marry and have children. At the end of the two months, Jephthah's daughter returned to her father and Jephthah did what he had promised. His daughter never had sexual relations with anyone, so this became a custom in Israel. Every year, the young women of Israel would go out for four days to remember the daughter of Jephthah from Gilead and to cry for her. You make an oath to God, you can't change it. I don't think it gets any clearer than that, right? I barely made it through that. I mean, I can't imagine any of you that have children that can read that and put yourself in that position and go, how could I uphold an oath like that? I mean, the important lesson to learn from this is no casual oaths. When we, when we started the story, it said the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He already had God on his side. Why did he need to go and make some oath to God to offer the first thing that was going to come out of his house? I don't know what he thought might come out of his house. I was talking to Michael before the services. Do you have animals in his house that might come running out the door to meet him? I don't know, but he only had one daughter and I guess a wife. So I don't know what he thought was going to come out to meet him. It's obvious that Jephthah, as Michael told me this morning, and that's true if you read the preceding chapters, it's obviously that Jephthah wanted to be the leader of that family and wanted to lead that family very badly. He was the, he was the son, he was the son of a prostitute and was looked, looked unfavorably by his family. And so this great victory would give him what he wanted and that was to lead his family. Did he think he was going to have to sacrifice his daughter? I doubt it. But vows are important. Vows to the Lord are important. They can't be changed. So be very careful. So maybe Matthew chapter 33 means to you and to me exactly what it says. Just don't take them. If you can get away from them, don't take them. If you don't need them, don't use them. Don't take them. Number four, you must speak the truth. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. St. Augustine said the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It'll defend itself. So sometimes we think we've got to come to the defense of the truth. Sometimes we think, well, they don't believe me. Well, it doesn't matter whether they believe you. The truth is the truth whether they believe it or not. You don't, you don't have to put yourself in jeopardy or in peril by invoking some oath or some vow to try to prove that what you said is the truth. The truth is the truth. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. Proverbs chapter 28 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is choked, who is crooked in his ways. Who is choked, who is crooked in his ways. Still got a little tear in my eye. Jeremy, don't laugh at me. Um, So the the point of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33 to 38 is live a life of integrity, live a life of honesty. Quick story on myself, tattle on myself. A couple weeks ago, last week, well, three weeks ago, a friend of mine came and visited with us, sat over there about where Mike, uh, where uh, Matt is sitting, Micah. 
Micah works for a company that we have a sole source vendor agreement with, and so we buy all of our pipe, valves, and fittings, millions of dollars, two, probably $4 million a year we spend with them. They're our sole source vendor. Well, our vendor agreement's up, and so I began to think, how do I know that the multipliers that I'm getting from my vendor are good multipliers? When I went under this deal three years ago, they were good numbers, but the market's changed. If you, any of you play the commodities or know anything about the commodities market, copper is down, steel is down, all these, all this stuff that goes into what I buy, all the commodity side of the, of the market, the prices are down. So have my prices fallen accordingly? I don't know. Got to thinking maybe I need to check. So I came up with this idea. I said, what we'll do is we'll go into estimating and we'll create this job and we'll put a bunch of copper pipe in it and steel pipe and fittings and we'll just build this big job and we'll just send it out for quotes. And we'll get quotes from all of the, from a couple of these vendors to compare and we'll back into the multipliers and we'll be able to check my pricing. And I was literally talking this. I wasn't thinking this in my head. I was talking this out loud <clears throat> to two or three of my two or three of my work and my, my buddies at work. And as soon as it got out of my mouth, I don't know how, why it happened. I've been studying this, so this popped up in my head. One of our values at work is do the right thing. And I got to thinking, man, Yancey, you just went through a lot of effort to create a lie. None of that's true. You don't have a job. You don't have this fake job. And you're not, you're, they're not, these vendors that are pricing this job that may be relying on that for their own livelihood, it's fake. It's false. It's fictitious. It's not even real. And so it's real easy for us. I don't think I'm strange in that way to start thinking that little white lies getting off here, getting off there, that it's okay as long as, you know, we're somehow, as long as we're not crooked in our ways. But is it? I don't think it is. So I said, wait a minute, guys, hold on a second. That does not comply with our values. That is not doing the right thing. So here's what we will do. We'll pick one vendor and we'll call them in and we'll give them the list of commodities that we have in our deal and we'll tell them that they've got an opportunity to price it. I don't know if that will mean they get the work or not. They can take the exercise and do it for us or not. But be totally and completely honest with them. If they want to price it, if they want to work with us, if they want to try, then they're willing to do it. But no promises, no guarantees. I felt better about myself after the fact, but boy, I was close to not, I was close to not catching that, right? And I think we go through life and we do that a lot. This, at least this country that we live in is getting so far away from what is truth and what truth really means and what honesty really means. Heading into the Christmas season, right? Is a little white lie okay here and there? Is, in order to be able to hide some present that we've got under the tree for somebody? I would tell you it's not. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. But, you know, I've always been honest with my family about Christmas, for whatever that means. So, think about the lesson of the morning. Better is a poor man <clears throat> that walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. That's uh, Proverbs 28 and verse number 6. So the lesson of the morning is yours. Hopefully something in there 
touched a chord, something in there made you think about, you know, I need to, I might need to make a, a more concerted effort to be, to walk a life of integrity, to walk a straighter line, to be more honest in everything that I say and that I do. And also something in there might have, you, you might be one of those per, people that casually, you know, makes oaths or makes promises that you don't intend to keep. You know, if that's the case, stop doing that. Make a commitment to stop doing that. To make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. You know, this country was founded on a lot of handshake deals. And it was because people had a different level of integrity back then. Let that be you. If somebody shakes your hand, let them know that that's, as, that's, that's a bond. That, that's you giving them your word and that you're going to stand behind it. Your yeses mean what they mean. You don't have to call on the Lord for, for uh, more power that your yeses mean yes. If, uh, if we can uh, help you this morning, if you make your need or your wishes known, come forward, we'd be glad to help you as we stand and sing.